Matamari here and welcome to First Up, it's Ramiri. that's Friday the 3rd of February, Cor Nathan Rarari aho. Coming up we are in the USA and Africa with our international correspondents back home. Auckland's state of emergency is due to end today but more thunderstorms blew in and their forecast and look we're not out of the water yet. The First Up team has been back on the sodden streets of the big city. We heard from the rescuers getting animals out of harm's way and a concrete contractor turned emergency responder as he pumps two Olympic swimming pools worth of water out of a car park. So normally we pump concrete in the other direction but today we're sucking the water out, yeah trying to drain these car parks and we estimate maybe 5 million to 8 million litres of water. Koto, welcome to First Up. We're going to start this morning in the United States. I'm joined from New York City by our correspondent Bevan Hurley, taking a bite out of the Big Apple. Kia ora, how are you? <laughs> Kia ora, Nathan. Doing good, thank you. Okay, so the, the big news, the, the funeral of Tyree Nichols was held in Memphis on Wednesday, and it's interesting when you get some some significant people showing up. There's Spike Lee uh, there, but also the Vice President um, Kamala Harris. Yeah, it just goes to show how far um, Tyree Nichols' death has reverberated beyond um, Memphis. Of course, um, the Reverend Al Sharpton also delivered the eulogy. Um, but Wednesday's uh, service was was all about celebration of life for you know a really um, quite quite an impressive uh, young man. Um, mourners at Mississippi Boulevard Christian Church tried to shift the focus away from that heart wrenching footage of the fatal beating. And those images of him in hospital with his face badly swollen and bruised before his death. Um, and um, Nichols was described as a devoted son who had his mother's name tattooed on his arm, a loving father to a four-year-old boy, a free spirit with a passion for skateboarding and capturing sunsets on his camera. And Vice President uh, Harris comforted um, the Nichols family and told them that the, the people of our country mourn with you. Um, Nichols' mother, Ravon Wells, said through tears that even as her son was being beaten to death, he remained polite to Towards those police officers, and she echoed uh, many others at, at the service, calling for the passage of the stalled George Floyd Policing Act, which um, lawmakers tried unsuccessfully to pass in 2020 and would bring about major reform to police departments across the country. Um, meanwhile, um, the fallout from Mr Nichols' death continues. A special Memphis Street Crimes Unit has been disbanded after five of um, its members were arrested and charged with his murder. We also learned that four of the five of those officers um, had been suspended or reprimanded for previous incidents, um, you know, serious incidents that really did not get punished very, very strongly. Um, two other police officers have been suspended uh, two deputies from the Shelby County Sheriff's Department and two medics and a lieutenant from the Memphis Fire Department who responded to the scene and failed to render aid have also been fired. Uh, the Shelby County District Attorney Steve Mulroy, who is leading the investigation, said that there is, remains uh, 20 hours of footage that hasn't been released. Much of it is audio and Mulroy said it would reveal new and more disturbing details about the incident. Um, he was asked by reporters whether or not he thought police would try to cover up the killing at all and he pointed out that the police incident report that was written up in the hours after Nichols' death did not match up in any way with the events shown in those body cam and surveillance footage. And he said that it's up to city officials to determine when the rest of that footage will be released, Nathan. Mm, it's a horror, uh, just a harrowing uh, thing to see. Uh, let's move to uh, the polit- politics here. South Carolina Governor George, uh, sorry, uh, Nikki Haley, so she's, uh, sorry, the, f- the former governor there, she's announced that she's going to run for 
the 2024 Republican nomination, which is interesting because she's not the only one considering the crack at that top job. Yeah, it really feels like this week, um, the 2024 elections, which if you can believe are almost two years away, um, have really heated up. Um, so yes, Nikki Haley, she was a reasonably popular um, former governor of South Carolina and a real um, Trump sycophant, I think it could be said, um, has said that she's going to be um, announcing her run on February 15. She served as Trump's ambassador to the United Nations uh, for a couple of years and has really sort of um, flip-flopped in her public statements about the former president um, being critical one moment and then supportive of the next. Um, and after that news broke uh, that she was going to run, um, Trump shared a video that Haley where Haley had previously promised that she wouldn't run against a former boss, and, he, and he's, he followed it up with the following quote, Nikki should follow her heart and not her honour. She should definitely run. Um, but it seems those sort of uh, Trump threats against his potential GOP opponents aren't really scaring possible rivals away. Uh, this week, the former Republican governor of Maryland, Larry Hogan, also said he is taking a close look at it. He could be an interesting option. He was uh, a very popular governor in a majority Democratic state, and he will look to sort of uh, pursue that narrative that, you know, Washington is broken and it needs an, an outsider to come in and fix it. Uh, the former Secretary of State, Mike Pompeo, has been on a book tour and he's making all those sorts of noises that potential candidates um, do. And meanwhile, Trump has been uh, attacking the person who many consider to be his main rival, Florida, Gov Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, calling him disloyal and, and going after his record on COVID. And a poll shows that while the large majority of GOP voters are ready to move on from Trump, a devoted minority might not let them. Um, a poll out this week in the Bulwark showed that 28% of Republican voters said they would run uh, support Trump even if he ran as an independent. And this is all going on, of course, as um, Trump uh, tries to rehabilitate his image uh, with events in New Hampshire and South Carolina in the past week. And as the swirl of criminal charges continues to expand, um, authorities in New York have said that they're impaneling a grand jury to look at those hushed money payments made by Trump to the adult actress Stormy Daniels prior to the 2016 election, Nathan. Yeah, and uh, sorry, went and it's already passed the statute of limitations. So basically, just admits to it. It was a very interesting time, Bevan. We've run out of time, unfortunately. Next time we speak to you, I'd, I'd love to hear more of uh, Mr. Santos and what his latest lies are, because uh, they just come one after the other after the other in New York City. That's Bevan Hurley. Twelve past five, and you are listening to First Up here at RNZ National. Uh, I'm Nathan Rada there. So I'm, I'm keen for your feedback on a couple of things. First off, uh, earthquake around, around Te because, I, I mean, I know the Mountain of Love has had water pouring off it uh, recently and uh, surrounding towns uh, getting quite high with the water there. So just let us know you're right after that. Secondly, the Australians are to replace the Queen, not with Prince Charles on, on their banknote. Do you think we should follow suit? Well, and if you, and if you do, I mean, there's no yes. But if 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 it's a, a no, then you want Prince Charles. That's great. Uh, sorry, King Charles. It's got here Prince Charles, King Prince Charles. Uh, or if it's something else, what what else would you like to see? There you go. Just let us know. Get a bit creative. It's Friday morning. Why not? Um, that's two one o one is the text number. I've got to get out of the habit of Prince Charles. It's all I've ever known him as. I'll get to that. I'll get to that. Meanwhile, we go to Africa now. We are going to Accra, the capital of Ghana, and our correspondent Nabil Ahmed is with us. Morena, Nabil. Morena, hello. Hey, so Prince, uh, sorry. I'm gonna, what I'm going to do is I'm going to get up, walk out of the room, come back into my mouth will work properly. <laughs> Pope Francis is in Africa. Which countries is he visiting? 
Indeed, uh, he is in Africa. He's visiting two countries, the Democratic Republic of Congo and then South Sudan. Now, um, he started his visit in the Democratic Republic of Congo on Tuesday, which is a three-day visit. And then we know that the East African country has many uh, Catholic worshippers. Now, here's the catch. They make about half of the population of nearly 100 people, million people. So a huge uh, crowd of people really um, were excited to the visit of uh, Pope Francis. And the church actually plays a key role in uh, the health as well as education sector of uh, the Democratic Republic of Congo and even the democratic uh, process in the country. Now, the Pope was scheduled to visit uh, DRC last July, but then he was not able to do so and it was postponed because of ill health. Now, during his visit in the DRC, he celebrated one of his biggest masses on Wednesday uh, with around a million attendees in the capital, Kinshasa. And people were really excited about that, seeing the Pope face to face. And during his sermon, he called for peace in that country. You know, uh, DRC has been suffering a lot of attacks from the so-called M23 rebels. And there's a lot of insecurity in that country, a lot of violence. And he's actually called for peace and the end of violence in the country. Now, the other country that he'll be uh, visiting is South Sudan. And already, um, they are preparing to host him. And they will be holding special prayers for the safe arrival of Pope Francis on Friday. I, I see that uh, Nigerians are heading to the polls uh, to get their voting down there and get some democracy happening, but it's very, very hard because gunmen have destroyed ballot boxes in an attack. Can you tell us the latest there? Yes, indeed. The insecurity in Nigeria continues unabated. And the fact that um, this latest incident where some gunmen went to the um, electoral commission in one other state in the country and they destroyed nearly 800 ballot boxes and over 200 voting cubicles and these are really uh, towards the preparation toward, uh, for the election and for 800 ballot boxes to be destroyed in a particular state is quite worrying now uh, the police are saying that they are investigating the issue and then um, this attack actually happened on Wednesday and as a result, a teenager was killed during the attack and then another sustained injury. Now, this particular incident has raised concerns whether Nigeria should go ahead with the elections given that there is a pocket of uh, insecurity and attacks across the country. About two weeks ago, uh, we saw that the European Union said the elections may not uh, uh, happen because of this insecurity, and some actually called for the elections to be delayed. But then the Electoral Commission in Nigeria has given notice that it will not delay the elections and would go ahead with it uh, in less than a month in spite of the insecurity in parts of the country. The uh, Wagner mercenary group have been active in Ukraine, but they're active in Africa too. I see the UN's calling for an investigation. Uh, what do you know about that, Nabil? Well, Mali has actually been struggling to fight insecurity for more than a decade. Now, you know the French troops which were in the country trying to support the fight against insurgency actually withdrawn so uh, have withdrawn. So Mali has actually now looked towards... Uh, the Russian private uh, security company uh, for support in fighting these 
uh, militant groups that are linked to Al-Qaeda and also Islamic State. But then the concern from the UN is that the activities of this Russian private security contractor, which is the Wagner Group, may have led to the killing of about, uh, about hundreds of people in Mali last year. And this is what they want uh, the Mali government to probe. But then, you know, Mali is currently being governed by a military junta after he undertook a coup last year. And they've actually not said whether they would carry out the probe. But it's something that people are keenly monitoring because once the UN has done its investigations and realized that the activities of the Wagner Group is violating human rights in Mali, then it raises some, uh, some concern in that country. Nabil, thank you very much for your time from Accra, uh, the capital of Ghana. That is Nabil Ahmed. It is 18 past five. Auckland's flooding has not only affected houses, businesses and schools, but also struck the Altair Centre, uh, which had to find a new venue for its immersive exhibition, Renaissance, the Age of Genius. Promoter Stuart McPherson told me yesterday morning that they've had to move it just down the road. The whole gallery for Renaissance, the Age of Genius, got flooded. And we've had to do a pivot and get ourselves from that location, as you can imagine, moving 250 metres of screens and images. But we found a spot, and the spot is magnificent. It's the Civic Theatre in Auckland, and we're actually taking in the entire stage, which is huge, and being able to reassemble all of the images and the screens in that space Our guests will then be able to come up through the theatre, which is, of course, is gorgeous anyway, and literally be on the stage with these screens surrounding them. I know that, you know, you originally had your plans there in in the Altair Centre, but Mm -hmm. as far as an alternative venue goes, I mean, this is great. For those of you that don't know in Auckland, it's a beautiful... You feel historic being it. Like, it's got a sense of grandeur, uh, the Civic, and I guess that that matches, I mean, the, the works of these great artists. Uh, absolutely it does. So it's a perfect fit and uh, one we maybe should have thought of in the first place. But <laughs> <laughs> it, it is going to be magnificent. The atmosphere in that theatre, just being in it, is terrific. And then when you get up and onto the stage, so this could be your first time on stage. Yeah. Uh, what a stage <laughs> to be on. So tell me the logistics of, of moving these, because physically, again, for those of you that don't know, well, it's really only a, a few hundred metres, but I guess that's quite hard isn't it, with, with these, you know, with these works? Well, absolutely. And, of course, getting the equipment out, first of all, with uh, water sloshing around your feet was, was difficult. And there's a lot of electronics involved. So, really, by tomorrow morning, we'll be fine. But it has taken six days of many man-hours to actually literally move all of the screens, take them down, and then reassemble them and all of the electronics that drive this magnificent moving image immersive exhibition. It's, it's been quite remarkable how it's been done in such a short space of time. Those laneway festivals, the music they always throw out, these are all the bands that have got in the food trucks. Tell us tell us the, uh, the artists we can see in this age of genius. Well, you're going to see... Everyone from there's 10 artists and Leonardo da Vinci, Caravaggio, Titian, several of the other artists that Raffaello, of course, and Michelangelo. So all of those artists work in one or two 
that are still within the the Renaissance period, but not necessarily as well known, such as Peter Bruegel, the Elder, and also Alexander Durer, who is both German and French. So they run up to the beginning of the Baroque period, but it's essentially all Renaissance, and these are the 10 most famous artists of that era. Every night we with one exception, we we have a, a VIP experience where uh, Dr. Christopher Longhurst, who is the expert on Renaissance, he spent 17 years in the Sistine Chapel as a guide, and he has a couple of doctorates on in, in art and relating to religion. So he's magnificent. And those VIP tours have just been sold out. People want desperately want to know a lot more than just enjoy the immersive experience. They actually want to learn more and, and find out and be pointed to specifics of the Renaissance period. And that's what he does wonderfully at 5.15 uh, every night. Stuart McPherson there. Renaissance, the Age of Genius, reopens at the Civic this morning at 10 and it runs through till the 19th of February. 5.22, I'm talking to you. I'm Nathan Rarity here at First Up on RNZ National. Uh, coming up on the programme, more tales of innovation and support uh, during Auckland's floods and why is there always a but uh, after an Act Party politician mentions climate change? We'll ask its deputy leader, Brooke Van Felden. There they are standing in the rear. Big one, small one, First Friday of the month, a brilliant time to catch up with the Minister of Fruit and Veg. It's Glenn Forsyth. Congratulations, sir, for being there in the Cabinet reshuffle. It's great. Uh, how are you, sir? Good, thank you, Nathan. Hey, I meant to comment last week, Nate, of the new handsome pick of you on the RNZ website, but you're in Crusader colours and not Magpies colours. Will no, there those... be a new one of you in rug- the rugby season? No, I believe that is maroon. Uh, that is not red. Uh, that is not <laughs> okay. a Crusader's colours. Please don't come on and swear at me, Glenn. There's no need to be aggressive here. <laughs> hey, everything was going nicely up until then. Thanks, sir. Um, that shirt cost me four bucks from an op shop. It's the, uh, the best purchase oh. I've made. Hey, uh, <laughs> yeah. Although I do look like yeah. I've travelled back to 1982 and I'm about to appear on screen in a show called That's Country with Patsy Rigger. Yeah. Uh, but there we go. Hey, um, tell us about this. You got updates from, from a, a bunch of producers. Um, avocados. How's that season going? Yeah, we do get great monthly newsletters for our program from New Zealand Avocados, vegetables.co.nz, and of course, five plus a day. Now, New Zealand Avocados, they remind us this month to enjoy them while you can, and that, you know, fruit that which hasn't been cut can be stored in the fridge for two to three days. Now, avocado that has been cut, they can last a day or two in the fridge with a slight squeeze of lemon juice on top and stored within an airtight container. Now, New Zealand is also hosting the 10th World Avocado Congress this year. So what a treat that will be. We can talk about that later uh, in a, a month or so. Now, for January, vegetables.co.nz featured tomatoes and bok choy pre-floods naturally, but in February they have great article on the amazing grower Ben Conning in the Tasman and can't wait for when the mystery shopper pops up again. Five plus a day for January. They did mention salads and stone fruit. We talk a lot about stone fruit soon, but on salads, lettuce is still doing okay. Just check their stem end is clean and green, not showing any brownness or rot. And salad ingredients such as cucumbers and capsicums are in reasonable supply, so not too bad. Yeah. Um, You updated us earlier in the week on how some of the flooding there affected veggie growers in Auckland region. I saw the onions all over the road. Uh, It was was horrible there. How are they going now? 
Oh, isn't it funny? Just over a week ago, retailers were predicting kind of prices in February, but one nasty weather event changes so much in our industry. One video I saw of the flood or running river, it was obliterating a parsley farm in Pukekohe. And then when the water clears, it's it's the heat and mugginess that finishes leafy greens off. And, you know, not much digging yet still, which is a shame on end of season Pukekohe carrots as Oakuni crops are not quite ready. Now, the onion tears, they continued as it was going to be a good export season this year to Europe. And certainly there's no planting happening there at the moment to replace the loss of greens. So you will probably see broccoli in Auckland this weekend for $6 plus and cauliflower, you guessed it, over $10. Uh, so what is in good value in comparison to that bad news? Well, you could try celery, leeks and spring onions. These are all OK. So are courgettes, beans and pumpkin, eggplant and mushrooms. They've been a little bit, um, you know, not missing in action lately, but they're still tight. And fingers crossed, supply improving on those in seven to ten days. Now, the winner again, however, sweet corn and this time sweeter South Island corn, as they seem to have a kind of hot sun than us currently. But North Island price is about four cobs for five dollars. And if you're lucky enough to be by a Johnny Fresh in Yeldhurst or Darfield, someone spotted them five for four dollars. So they topped the vegetable list. Yes, yes. Get on into that one. Fruit me. What's happening in the fruit? Oh, fruit. Fruit is not so much doom and gloom, although the biggest fruit line sold here in New Zealand, the banana, they're having their challenges worldwide. You may have noticed they're not the low prices we used to get back in the day, but our importers do do a wonderful job and we can't be without them. USA Navels, they're available along with New Zealand Star Ruby Grapefruit, a little bit more mild, so that's a nice one. And new season New New Zealand limes are available. Now, it's not a stellar melon season, but they are available and so is a current burst of blueberries and new season Royal Gala and Sweet Tango Apples. Now, the cherry season, that's, that's in its home straight. Uh, more Clutha Gold apricots hit the market, and the Golden Tartura range and Flatos feature in the peaches. The plum crops, now this season, are sadly down. But my favourite plum store in the whole of New Zealand, New World Thornden, we've talked about them. They'll never let you down on this fruit with all the best varieties, including this weekend, the gorgeous Omega. Love that one. Now, leaving the last magnificent stone fruit as our Here fruit of the week. Fruit of the week, Cameron. Hi, Glenn. What is your fruit of the week? It's nectarines. Hell yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, nectarines. Look out for them. The white flesh pearl and the yellow flesh honey. Make the most of the Hawke's Bay nectarines as we near the end of that area's production. I like them simply sliced, stone removed, chilled from the fruit compartment in the fridge. You know, two nectarines for lunch. Beautiful. And I've been waiting for over a year for this, but if you need a, if you need a clue on Wordle, Nate, mm. um, you may find that word feature in, in how you um, experience nectarines this weekend. So, yeah, mm. have a good weekend. Wonderful. Thank you very much. Love a nectarine. He's right. Out of the fridge. So good. Like sands through the hourglass, so are the days of our lives. Quick, it's going to be 6 o'clock in just 28 minutes. This is the day of our life we like to call the 3rd of February. Just some uh, celebrity birthdays first. Isla Fisher, she turns 47 today, of course the actress. Fast bowler, a friend of uh, cricket fans, Danny Morrison, he is 57. And a soap star from the 1980s, Morgan Fairchild, who was born Patsy Ann McClenney in 1950, turns 73 years old today. This is also the birthday where we celebrate Dr. Henry J. Heimlich. Yes, he, he did invent the Heimlich manoeuvre there in 1974, but also what was really interesting, so you know um, Winnie the Pooh movies 
and then there was Tigger. Well, Tigger was voiced voiced by Paul Winchell. Paul Winchell and Dr. Henry Heimlich worked together in developing their first implantable artificial heart. There you are. Talented voiceover person. On this day in 1876, Albert Spaulding went, yeah, okay, and he put in $800 to start a sporting goods company. He thought, people need things like baseballs, tennis balls, basketballs. He's a big ball fan, and it worked out very well for him. On this day in 1931, Arkansas legislators uh, passed a motion to pray for the soul of a journalist after he called the state the apex of Moronia. And of course, on this day in 1931, uh, a 7.8 Richter scale earthquake hit Hawke's Bay. It struck at 10.47 and many buildings in central Napier and Hastings collapsed. And a huge disaster. And of course, um, that's why why there's so much Art Deco there from the rebuild. So there we are. We remember that on this day here, February the 3rd. And when it's business time, we get the business socks on. We say hello to Giles Beckford. Kia ora, Giles. Kia ora to you, Nathan. I, I feel like there's this whole, we were in Indiana Jones and there's this big stone rolling behind us like, the recession is coming! But... No, looming one. Apparently, you, it's it's already here. That's right. Well, you, you, didn't feel it, you didn't feel it run over you, but bang. Yeah. Well, that's the view of one uh, economic forecasting outfit, Infometrics. They put out their forecast, and they say if it hasn't arrived, and they think it probably has, it's just knocking on the door, or it's letting itself in through the front door. And they're saying, really, all the signs were that the economy was slowing. Uh, it's going to take that hit from the big interest rate rises from the Reserve Bank. That's going to flow through to household budgets. It means you won't be spending as much. Uh, It means the Reserve Bank will be pressing on with interest rate rises to cool the economy even further. They're saying it will mean job losses. Now, if you remember earlier this week, we had that uh, unemployment rate at 3.4%. Infometrics thinks it will go past 5% in the coming year. And it's just a pretty gloomy report. And they say, if you think you're going to get a lift from the boost in uh, tourism numbers and the reopening of borders in China uh, and an improved economy there, um, think again because... Uh, A, they don't contribute that much, but B, the rest of the world's looking pretty awful as well. So they think the rest of the world is going to go into recession. Uh, Now, that's backed up by another report, this time from Westpac, looking at the building sector in particular. And they're saying that the industry needs to get uh, itself prepared because there's a downturn coming. And more to the point, there are some significant changes that are probably going to have to happen within the building sector. So two reports there that don't make for Happy Friday reading, I have to say. Mm. Um, Look, I usually take them all with a bit of uh, a pinch of salt, sometimes a, a Siberian salt mine. But yeah, as I say about economists, it or economics, it is the dismal art. Uh, and from that point of view, of course, they uh, they they won't always have cheerful news. We'll wait and see. Time will tell whether this prediction was right. I think most people tend to think in the economics community that a recession is coming this year. Hmm. Um, although I keep asking the question. Do we have to have one? But they just look askance at me as if I'm some sort of numpty. <laughs> no, but, but never mind. I'm told we've got a tight three minutes, so yes. I won't go on any more other than to say 
Have a happy long weekend. Stay dry, stay safe. Yeah, you too, Giles. Thank you very much. You can hear more from the business team on Morning Reports this morning at 10 to 7. If you go out shopping with your Kiwi dollar, you can buy the following. 65.18 US cents, 91.45 Australian cents, 59.54 Euro cents, 52.95 British pence, 4.38 yuan, and 83.63 Japanese yen. And it's Barry Guy on uh, Barry's Beanbag. Uh, that's what we've got here. He's, uh, he's got the lava lamp and he's all set to go there in the sports office. Kia ora, how are you? Morena, yep, from one numpty to another. <laughs> <laughs> Don't hear that word very often. No, no, it's good. Yeah, yeah, I come like back it. for Fridays. So, um, obviously, the, the Black Caps it didn't go so well there in that uh, final game there in India. They come back, they've got to play against England. What's happened to the uh, the, the, the test squad there? Uh, that's right, that's been uh, named. Um, immediately, uh, test crickets, and I start thinking about the weather, so hopefully everything is looking up as far as weather's concerned, because mm. I've got time off to go to the Basin Reserve. Kyle Jamison is back. He injured his back in England in uh, June last year and really hasn't played uh, since then. Uh, he's played a couple of domestic games, but he is back in the uh, squad at a remarkable start to his international career. So it's good to see him uh, there. They've made, named a 14-man squad. No um, uh, plays for Ajaz Patel, which is unfortunate, but possibly not really a, supl- a surprise because he doesn't really get much of a run uh, in New Zealand, New Zealand just because yeah. of the local conditions there. They've included each Sodi and Michael Bracewell in the squad, sort of a spin cover. But they're both decent bats, uh, those two, so maybe if they ever feel they need to put an all-rounder type in there, um, uh, that's probably the way they're going to go. Kane Williamson's there, Tom Latham's there, um, Devin Conway, usual sort of top uh, order, Henry Nichols in the middle order, you know, and then uh, Wagner and uh, Tinkner, um, of course, no... Um, I was really hoping you were going to say Trent Bolt's decided to stop hitting golf yeah, balls. No, yeah, no, Trent Bolt there. <sighs> I'm just quickly looking again to make sure. Correct. Neil Wagner, Tim Southey, Blair Tinkner. Uh, so Wags is in? Yeah, Wags is there. Isn't it funny? The last 10 years of New Zealand cricket was um, people go, oh, should we put Wagner in? I'm not sure. And he gets in and he's brilliant every time. Yeah. I'm like, he's my first name on the sheet. You need a workhorse. And he's a brilliant worker. Well, I watched him. Even so he doesn't play a lot. He he played some Super Smash. Yeah, and he was coming in so aggressive in yeah, that. I love but, that. But bowled well because you know you can't afford to give away too many runs. No. And he was fantastic. Uh, so it's good to see him there. Yeah, uh, yeah the White Ferns, uh, they've just had another practice game in South Africa against uh, England. T20 World Cup is just uh, a week away. Mm-hmm. They uh, got they were all out for seventy one. No, they haven't been too impressed with the wickets over there. Uh, but they are in Pretoria, and those aren't the international wickets. And so they only made 71. England won by nine wickets. They now go to Cape Town, a couple of official warm-up matches, and then their first game is against Australia on the 12th, which is next weekend. So, uh, um, they, yeah, hopefully... The, what, what's uh, Cape Town? Uh, Newlands? Yes, no, Kingsmead. Yes, Kingsmead. Kingsmead. Yeah, right, so Newlands so, was the rugby stadium that they had. Yeah, so uh, hopefully the wickets are a little bit better there. So um, uh, looking forward to, to uh, that. Yes. Beautiful. Thank you very much, Barry. Have a good weekend. I will do. There he is uh, off the beanbag. That's Barry Guy. It's 
Just past 20 to 6. I'm Nathan Rarity here at First Up on RNZ National. So between now and the end of the programme, you're going to hear the extent of Auckland's water woes and a heroic concrete contractor. It's brilliant. Also, uh, we will hear from the ACT Party's Deputy Leader, Brooke Van Felden. The professionals of Morning Report are sitting next to a fan as they cope with the massive heat in Wellington. It's Corin Dan who's with me. Kia ora, how are you? I'm very well. Am I allowed to say it's quite nice? Yeah, uh, no, it is. It's it wonderful. Is, it is quite nice. Uh, sort of 23, 24-ish. It's oh. just, you know, don't need the jacket. It's, it's, it's a little bit unusual for well, a little bit unusual for Wellington. It's the Riviera of the uh, <laughs> South. I remember staying in a uh, hotel in Wellington for and seeing it. For about one day of the year. Yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah, but that day, hey. Yeah. yeah, as we say, can't beat it. Uh, listen, weather will be a big focus again today. Uh, we've got to keep the watch on the situation in Auckland. There's been a few minor slips, I think, uh, that we need to check in on there. Coromandel Peninsula too, some evacuations there. Uh, just an isolated incident by all accounts but uh, and precautionary, but... Uh, still, a, still a bit of a hangover from this weather pattern, uh, and it's slow moving. Thankfully, I think the Bay of Plenty escaped uh, the big deluge they potentially were go- going to get. The west coast, South Island, though, has got plenty of rain. Mm. Uh, we'll check in there to make sure it didn't cause any problems. They'll be happy if it's uh, it hasn't because they needed it, uh, needed it on the west coast. Lots of other things to get through too. We'll look at um, some uh, the latest economic forecasts, uh, which actually aren't great about the. Uh, likelihood of a recession from New, for New Zealand. This is with Gareth Kiernan, uh, with uh, the Economist. We'll also touch on the issue of swimming in Auckland beaches. Sorry, Aucklanders. There's um, so much sewage, but the locals continue to swim undeterred. Well, <laughs> well I've been trying to get that they, one in uh, all that's week. That's pretty good. That's yeah. pretty good. Unfortunately, yeah, all the advice is just no. Over the weekend, don't swim uh, in those beaches. But we'll yeah, find out exactly where and how long it's going to last and all that sort of thing. I, I mean, you know, the worst case scenario is you get a blazing hot afternoon and you can't go swim at the beach. That is that is and tough after what Auckland has been through. Yes, I tell you what. When the when the when the rain started coming yesterday, it was one of those. Oh, not again. Not again, it's sort of hit that. So, yeah, look, Corinne, thank you very much for for your time, sir. And, of course, a morning report with you after six. Well, the massive scale of clean-up in Auckland is becoming clearer as the floodwaters recede. All week we've heard accounts of human loss and damage to property, but the record-breaking flash floods also affected pets and livestock. So who helps the animals? Well, Welfare Charity Helping You Help Animals, or Hoo-Ha, is one of many organisations working on the ground. Our producer, Mavash Ikram, met the charity's founder, Caroline Press-McKenzie, at a flood relief facility in Auckland. Caroline and her team have been dropping off pet essentials at flood relief centres all day. They hit the road shortly after wrapping up an overnight shift at a Walkworth emergency shelter. It's 5pm and the team are at their final stop. We're at the Mungary Welfare Centre. It's quite a big operation. There are a lot of people from the community coming in and they're, they're getting what they need. A lot of these people have, have homes that are red-stickered or wet or you know they, they've just sort of lost furniture or clothing. Uh, but our purpose is helping them with their animal supplies. So our team's been driving around and dropping off crates, food, blankets, and we've got two trailers completely laden with, what have we got? We've got collapsible crates and food and blankets and just, you know, everything an animal may need. And now we're actually popping them into the hall. But around the corner here, it's like another world. 
Here we go. So you've got all the different agencies, um, the support agencies all sort of dotted around the building, offering services and, and support and care. Um, but over in this corner over here is, is the animal section. We just bring the food to them. The animal counter is busy. Some volunteers are sorting supplies, while others are helping a steady stream of people who are turning up to collect pet food. But dropping off animal essentials isn't Hua's only job. Carolyn says her team has met at least 12 critical rescues this week. We just had a little puppy in our care. Uh, we've actually just passed it to another sanctuary again, but it had lost its mum and its siblings. had all been drowned. So we had this little three-and-a-half-week-old puppy. It had been handed into Animates. Um, Animates had passed it on to um, a, a guinea pig rescue, and then they passed it to us. So what I'm loving is all of these different shelters and all of these different groups of animal caregivers are all working together and they're finding the best solution for each animal. Not all pets have been lucky. Some were swept away during the first bout of torrential rain on Friday. One lady, unfortunately, prior to us meeting her, eight of her pet sheep were swept away and drowned in the first round of flooding. Um, but she reached out to us before the second round of flooding. We picked up four of her cows and two of her remaining sheep and we managed to get them to a lovely country log sanctuary in Walkworth where they're, they're going to be housed, well, paddocked there for a wee while and cared for. But the next, that night, that the rains did come through and the paddocks were flooded again, so she would have lost them. So it was quite nice that we were able to get there in time. Carolyn says her team has been working 20-hour days to help pet owners who have been affected by the floods. We're also helping with situations where animals are potentially unwell, helping get people to the vets. Really, just, just whatever their issue is, we sort of try and problem solve. We also had a little puppy that had been playing in the floodwaters and got quite ill with a gastro, and there was a chance it was Parvo, but we um, took the puppy to after hours, Parvo negative, which is really exciting. We've supported the family through all of the vet visits and paid, paid for that because it was just something they weren't in a position to do. She says some people are choosing to live in damaged homes because they don't want to send their pet to a shelter. Her team has been working alongside the Ministry for Primary Industries to help these owners. We've found in this scenario that there's been some people who just haven't felt comfortable leaving home and passing their pet over to a shelter, but they've had nowhere else to go with their pet, so they've chose to stay at home. And then, of course, they're at home in a situation where it's wet or maybe it's not safe to be in those environments. We were deployed to do this by MPI, and we sort of anything around housing we escalate to them so they're helping people stay with their animals finding accommodation with their animals it's a very trying time and it's such a vast situation Caroline Press McKenzie there from Hoo-Ha. It is 10 to 6 uh, throughout this election year, of course. We're speaking to uh, uh, regularly to MPs from all around the country in the major political parties. This morning, uh, we get to say kia ora uh, to the Deputy Leader, uh, Brooke Van Felden of uh, ACT Party. Uh, thanks very much for being here. Look, yesterday on First Up, we were out with um, David Seymour um, speaking to flood victims there in the Epsom Electric. Uh, and I know that one of the common threads that we spoke to was people saying drain stormwater systems haven't been fit for purpose. So I'm just wondering, it looks to me like that'll mean big government spending, right? How does that sit with ACT Party's like, small government ideology? Well, I think there's a lot here. I mean, firstly, it is devastating to see what the effects on people's homes have been from the floods. But yeah, being out in the community, 
Uh, a lot of the feedback that we have received is that uh, there has been insufficient management and maintenance of existing drains, uh, which has led to more water being kept on the streets or on people's properties than was necessary during the floods and heavy rain. Um, but on top of that, uh, we've got an issue here about, well, what does this mean long term? If, if this is something that's happened now, could it happen again? Uh, firstly, I think we need to have the councils maintaining drains. And I think in some instances uh, during COVID, we saw that being swept to the side. Uh, and one um, really clear example uh, was a street in Epsom uh, that had over a metre of water on the floods. And then the council came along on Monday, cleared up the drains, and when the heavy rain came again, uh, we didn't see that flood water coming back through. Uh, but secondly, uh, we do need more infrastructure. Uh, this is an area that's of huge concern because we've got the government and uh, national saying they want three three-storey homes on any section within Auckland. And that's going to lead to less permeability of surface areas and neighbourhoods uh, and more runoff water. I want to see more infrastructure being spent uh, for our local communities. But I have a member's bill for this. Uh, it's about GST sharing with the local council. So my member's bill says uh, every time a new home gets built and developed within Auckland, uh, the council gets half of the GST uh, back to the local council so that we have money to invest in more infrastructure and more water infrastructure. Yeah, I, I think it's interesting. I, th I think there's been decades of, of, you know, the old classic, we're in council going, oh, now is not the time for that infrastructure. That's been happening for a very long time, those routes that go through. And it's, it's good that you've got an idea of how they can actually get on to bloody fixing this. Because, you know, last year there was a, a one in 100 year flood in Auckland. This year there's a one in 500. So we clearly do need to tackle climate change. Just wondering, though, whenever I hear someone in the ACT Party discuss climate change, it's always followed by the word but. I mean, you know, isn't it time to, to get serious about climate change? climate change? Well, I think the issue here is people have put down a lot of this flood to climate change. I think in some ways it's a bit defeatist to say it's all about climate change. That's why it's about drain maintenance and infrastructure. But I think we've got to stop talking about um, it about climate mitigation and, and making it about taxing the cows more because that's not going to stop the floods in Auckland from happening again. It has to be about how do we adapt to climate change? And I think investing in more infrastructure for our local area is definitely the better way to go in the conversation rather than saying uh, we need to tax cows. Yeah. Brooke, thank you very much for being up early for us here on a Friday morning. Uh, there she is, uh, Brooke Van Velden, the Deputy Leader of the ACT Party. Look, we have to move on from that quickly because we've got a great story of a hero here. An Auckland concrete contractor pumped five million litres of water from two floors of underground car parks this week as flooding wreaked havoc across the city. At least 100 vehicles were submerged in the Parnell building as the contractor emptied the equivalent of two Olympic swimming pools of water into the city's stormwater network. Here's Leonard Powell. On Ronane Street in Parnell, the remnants of severe flooding are everywhere to see. Silt covers the pavement, neglected cars sit waiting to be towed as contractors and high-vis operate loud machinery. I meet Harlem McKenzie, who runs McKenzie Concrete Pumping. Legacy's uh, one of the guys down here, that's, um, that's Nick, Nicholas, um, on McKenzie Concrete Pumping. We've got Ray Rock, which is Trent, and uh, Conrad Wackrow down the end, he's come in to help us out, so yeah. So, you know, we all know each other and all sort of help each other out. And, yeah. yeah. He's hard at work alongside the three others, sucking water from a flooded apartment building. 
They've been pumping here for three days, after two floors of underground car parks got completely submerged, destroying roughly 100 cars in the process. So normally we pump concrete, but uh, you know, we pump concrete in the other direction, but today we're sucking the water out, out to the street, trying to drain these car parks, and you know, we've, we've done some apartment blocks as well, so yeah, bit of everything. Harlem estimates how much water was trapped in the car parks. You know, we did have other call-outs, but people have since been sorted. So, yeah, this has chewed up a lot of time, though. We, we estimate maybe 5 million to 8 million litres of water. I don't know, it's really hard to tell, because... Uh, you know. And that's spread over two levels of underground parking? Yeah, yeah. Where's the water going now that it's been pumped outside? Just, just into the stormwater. 5 to 8 million litres of water. For context, 5 million litres is enough to fill an Olympic swimming pool two times over and there could be even more in the building. Harlan recalls the last time he used his machine to pump water. The volume was, let's just say, far less. I've used it a couple of times to drain my spa pool, but <laughs> no, no, it's not something we normally do. Out the front of the apartment, the machines are roaring as the pumps gurgle water into the storm drains. The water is being pumped out via long attachments, which stretch from the underground car park all the way up two flights of stairs and out onto the street. Harlem describes the process. We've got four pumps here today. We're estimating about uh, 130,000 litres per hour. So these pumps aren't really designed to do this. Uh, you know, they don't take it as much as, as the uh, proper water pumps, but, you know, they, they do the job. Yeah, we get it done, and like as you can imagine, every water pump in Auckland is booked out at the moment, so it's very hard to get, get the proper unit. He says the pumps are literally under pressure. Yeah, well, it's, it's a lot of wear and tear on the gear because, you know, you're running the pump without concrete in it. You know, it's not, not really ideal running it sort of 10, 12 hours at a time. But, you know, we'll, we'll do it for a few days and, you know, see what happens. You know, it's costing us a bit in diesel, but, yeah, diesel's not cheap these days. And he has some parting advice for Aucklanders to better prepare for extreme weather events. Make sure your drains are cleared get in those cesspits or get someone to you know, lift those uh, grates up and just get everything clear, all the silt and leaves, all that sort of thing, because it's all going to help. You know? And if the council can get out there with the, uh, you know, get some Hydrovac guys to um, worry about the main stormwater, you know, that's, that's going to help things uh, along. You know, obviously we're living in a fairly antiquated um, you know, system, so uh, you know, we've got a lot of extra housing around as well, so I think the system's not really coping too well, but, you know, I'm just a concrete pumper. What do I know? <laughs> Harlan McKenzie there, absolute hero. Look, what's been great uh, about uh, Auckland this week has been actually, it feels a bit together, because uh, it seems it's quite nice people out. I know that uh, quite often when you come to Auckland, you're like, no one really knows their neighbours. Uh, people have been uh, befriending them and coming and going, I'll help you with stuff. It's been... Um, a horrible circumstance, but good to see. Morning Report is next with Kim and Corin from all of us here at First Up. Have yourselves a wonderful weekend. We'll be back in your ears on Tuesday.